if your gospel doesn't have some offensive edge to it, you got to wonder, are you preaching the gospel? The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, a very good afternoon to you. You are listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. My name is Sam House. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the UK's leading Christian magazine, and it sponsors this show right here on Premier Christian Radio and makes it all possible. Premier Christianity magazine is published each and every month in print and also every single day we're updating our website at premierchristianity.com with views and opinions on all the latest church trends, what God is doing here in the UK and beyond and analysis on the latest cultural events. You can find all that both in print and online at premierchristianity.com and if you'd like to take out a subscription which will allow you to read the magazine in print every month and have full access online, our subscription deals start from just £3.95 a month so check that out now at premierchristianity.com. Here on The Profile, we like to sit down with a different Christian each and every week and hear something of their life story. And kicking us off this new year is our interview with Greg Boyd. Greg is an American pastor. He's well known for his theology on issues like open theism, which you're about to hear a little bit about. Has some unusual theological views on all sorts of things, including spiritual gifts and biblical interpretation. You're going to hear lots of detail on that, as well as a fascinating prophecy that Greg's church received before COVID-19 arrived that inspired the church to put all of their material online years before the pandemic hit. You'll hear all the details on that coming up in today's interview conducted by Roger Harper. This is with Greg Boyd, the progressive preacher, speaking about spiritual gifts, racism and COVID prophecy. Without any further ado, let's listen in to today's profile interview. Hi, Greg. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Can you tell us about this advice that you had three years ago to put everything online? How did that come about? Well, um, I have, I'm blessed to have as part of my uh, team, uh, we have a team run church and uh, um, one lady who was part of our, our, our threefold leadership team, her name is Janice, um, has had a prophetic gift uh, that has been of immense value to us throughout the duration of our church. Uh, she was there at the very beginning, uh, not as staff, but just attending. But uh, she came on staff. The church started in 1992. She came on staff, I think, in 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And has been my executive pastor. And, um, um, I mean, she's a wonderful executive pastor just in terms of getting people to work together and understand each other. But on top of that, she's had this prophetic gift. And it was very unusual for her because she is as uh, logical, as Spock-like, as stoic as, as any woman I've ever met. Uh, she she is uh, very literal usually on things, uh, very logical, rational. I, I've uh, joked with her saying, I, I've never met a woman who thinks more like a stereotypical man than you. Okay. <laughs> and, and not at all in motion. But soon after coming on staff, she started occasionally getting these visions. Uh, and, and she never knows what they are. And she's always embarrassed by them. But she feels like she can't you know, help but, but, uh, but share it. Yeah. And um and she's always kind of apologetic about it. That's part of what, you know, makes her credible. She's, she's, she's very humble. She wouldn't like, the last thing she wants is the spotlight. <laughs> She'll probably get mad at me for sharing all this. But, um, 
uh, yeah, she'd have the, the, just these pictures would come to her, and she says, "I don't get it." I, I, you know, I was driving here to work, and all of a sudden, I got this picture, and I don't know what it means, but I think we're supposed to share it. And sometimes we don't ever know what those things mean, but there's other times where um, we, if we just walk with this word, we discover it, it, her her prophetic word is like, "Keep your eyes open," and then you'll find out what the, the meaning of it is. Yeah, yeah. But only if you're keeping your eyes open for it. Yeah. Um, so. So uh, three years ago, and she's had a number of, of, of instances where the, the, the direction of our church was significantly affected by a, a picture she had. It's never a top-down authority, thus says the Lord, you've got to do this. It's always a, I'm sensing this, what is this about? Yeah. So yeah. it was about um, uh, three and a half, I guess, uh, roughly about a year and a half before COVID hit, um, she just had this this it's sense that we're supposed to start start getting all of your material online, mm-hmm. all of your courses, all of it, because that is uh, that is the direction that our church is headed. And at that point, she was just thinking about Woodland Hills Church, but we mm-hmm. need to be getting all this online. And there's kind of a sense of urgency about it. Part, part of that is because we have a uh, a large podcasting community. We call them our pod parishioners, our pod gregation, and um, and and so we wanted to be looking at ways of making them more inclusive. Uh, feeling more like they're part of things. So by having, you know, sharing classes and stuff, mm-hmm. but there was a sense of like, this has to happen kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, when COVID hit and we had the lockdown, um, we had everything in place. It, it, it was the most natural step in the world for us. Um, and and um, I mean, we had hitches here and there, but we have hitches there here and there all the time. That's just kind of normal. But uh, uh, yeah, it, we just stepped right into that. And um, it's just been serving us well. I owe me a little faith. When, when the lockdown started, I, I thought, okay, we're going to have to, our budget's going to tank. We're going to have to cut staff, you know, start making preparations, you know. Yeah. But we've had the opposite. Our church has grown. Our, our finances have grown. Uh, it's just been, it's just been quite amazing. I don't think all that would be the case if Janice hadn't gotten this prophetic word. Uh, and the word was one you trusted immediately. You didn't set up a committee to look into the idea and report in six months' time. You know, no, it, it, and it, it's partly because you know she's been at the church now for uh, twenty-five years, and and um, she just has developed this kind of credibility. And there's it was ne- ne- nothing authoritarian about it. Like you need you better do. This. But it was a sense like I'm sharing from my heart and. I really sense that something, you know, that we need to be doing this, and and it's like okay, well, let's 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 do let's let's go with that. Yeah, it was, but she's earned credibility because she's been right. Uh, you know, we, we take her seriously because of her track record, of because of her character, her humility, yeah. uh, and just her general relationship with everybody. Yeah, so tell give us an example of of when she's been right before. Well, probably one of the most interesting ones, uh, most significant ones, I guess, is. We, we were um, looking for a place to land. We, we started this church in 92. We went from school to school. We kept on growing, um, but always had to set up and tear down. And, and, you know, you're kind of nomadic when you're like this, so you can't claim a neighborhood. And so we were going to be, you know, embedded in a neighborhood. Um, and so we uh, were shopping around different buildings, but everything was way too much than we, we could afford. Uh, I had a friend who does the demographic kind of research, and, and he, he looked at our congregation and he thought, you know, maybe you can raise yeah, half a million if you're lucky. And it's hard to find anything for half a million. And that's only if we're lucky. So um, we're looking around. Well, at one point, 
we're, we're praying about location and, and um, you know, just Lord open up doors and, and guide us in this. And in this prayer meeting, Janice all of a sudden got a picture and she's like, ah, this is stupid. I, I, but I, I think I'm supposed to share this. I'm seeing concentric circles, like a target. I, I, this, this, these, a number of concentric circles and there's an arrow, but the arrow is not going into the target. The arrow is lying on the target and, it, and the tip of the arrow is important. We're supposed to pay attention to that. And the tip of the arrow is, is and she drew it on this board. It's, it, it's on the second ring. It's right there. We're supposed to pay attention to that. Well, we don't know what that means. And, and we talk about it a little bit, maybe this, maybe that. But in the end, it's just sort of like, Lord, can you lead us and guide us on this? If this, if this is a true word, then, then you'll make it clear. Two days later, somebody, and to this day, we don't know how this happened, but someone dropped off this huge map of St. Paul. And, and it started with the capital. And every so, every like quarter mile or mile, I don't know what the, 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 the uh, geography of it was, but there was at regular intervals, these circles going out from the Capitol, showing these like different districts or something, I guess. And the minute Jan saw this, laid on this table, she says, that's what I saw. And then she points to where the arrow was pointing. And we all are seeing this. And it was to this building, particular building. Wow. Now, it happened to be a building that we had looked at like two years earlier, but it was way out of price. It, it, it's a huge building, um, and, and there's a theater that goes with it, and they wanted $7 million for this. Uh, it was owned by Kmart, and we can, if we're lucky, get a half a million dollars. But we, we went back and looked at this again, and now it was down to $4 million, uh, which is still crazy out of our – but with this prophetic word, we're sensing we got to go for this. There's, you know, Scott's setting something up here. Um, so we, 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 at first we try to make a deal with, uh, someone figures out like we, if, if, if we, if we put in 2 million uh, and they put in 2 million, they'd still save money because they're on the lease for another seven years. So we try to make this deal and they wouldn't, they wouldn't even hear it. It's like, you know, it's a cash flow issue. It's a non-starter, not going to happen, not going to happen. So we're still praying for some kind of a breakthrough. Well, at some point, um, the guy who was in charge of making that decision about whether we're going to deal or not. He disappeared. I don't know whether he got fired or died or moved. I don't know. But another guy came and replaced him. And this person came from uh, the Twin Cities, knew about Woodland Hills, loved Woodland Hills, and, and saw the logic of this and said, that is a very smart deal. So they put in $2 million, So now we have to come up with another million, um, another $2 million, And we th- think we can maybe do half a million. But we just pray and pray. And I'm telling you, um, Money came from the most unlikely sources. There's, there's one uh, gal in our church who, uh, he, she came to Christ at our church, had a troubled past, came to Christ. And, and, and her, her dad doesn't go to our church. But at one point, as I was talking about, you know, kind of casting a vision for this thing, um, she, she goes back to her dad and says, Dad, I think God's telling me that you're supposed to give Greg Boyd and the church a half a million dollars. <laughs> and he does it. <laughs> he, wow. it. he had some money. Uh, you know, that kind of thing started happening. Uh, then then the last one we had to cro- uh, cross was uh, the, uh, it had to be approved by the, the city council uh, to, be, to be rezoned for a church. And um, uh, we needed four out of five votes to get a rezoning thing. And four out of the five vote, four of the five council members were new. And the one who was the, the had already been there, uh, he, he already told us he wasn't going to vote for us. Um, he somehow had the idea that 
He owns a liquor store across from the church. And I think he thought it'd be bad for business, but I told him, you know, it'll be good for business. We're not those kind of, we're not teetotalers. But anyways, and it has been good for his business. But uh, um, he told us he was going to vote against us. And we just made our case before the whole city council. And they voted, the other four voted yes, to get it rezoned. And, and that was the start of everything. So um, 2001, we moved into that, into that uh, impossible building. That wouldn't have happened if Janice hadn't gotten that bizarre sort of vision and if we hadn't taken it seriously. So do you, do you teach and encourage all the, all the gifts of the spirits, prophecy, tongues, healing, that's, you know, interpretation? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're open. It's not like our front burner. Um, I, I think we lean more towards a peace message and the, the uh, general kingdom message. Um, but, but we definitely believe in the gifts of the spirit, used in a proper context. And, and that's the thing. We we, uh, we we don't have that operative in our large group meetings. Although these days, who has large group meetings? <laughs> no one. COVID's changed all that. But but like we found that they don't operate well when you have most people who don't know most other people. When you have a large crowd, I, I, you know, when Paul is giving instruction on prophetic gifts and stuff, he's talking to house churches, and these are people who meet regularly in a hostile environment. They're covenanted together. Uh, and they, they know each other. And I think the gifts operate really, really well in small group and interpersonal context. When you get into an auditorium, uh, that's when you're going to get the people who are most inclined to speak out as though they have the word of the Lord are not the people you'd want to be speaking out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do, do you see yourself still in some way as Pentecostal? I, I wouldn't know. I would say quasi-charismatic, although, you know, I guess the fact that uh, the prophecies played such a big role in our church, but that itself would qualify us as, as I guess, charismatic, but, but, yeah. uh, and, you know, we have uh, uh, raising hands and worship and those sorts of things. So I, I guess I would say we're, we're more Anabaptist, uh, but uh, Anabaptist, charismatic, anachrismatic, okay. Chrisabaptist, one of the two. Yeah. And you, you believe in a, in a personal devil, or you believe in the, as, as a real, as a real force in the world. So I would have also, trouble believing in an all good, all powerful God if I didn't believe in a devil. And do you also believe in and teach and practice deliverance in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, um, we we part of our counseling ministry is is a deliverance ministry. Yeah, and um, uh, yes, yeah, so we we do that on, on a fairly regular basis. Um, not as much as I would have thought, but that kind of ebbs and flows too. It kind of has a rhythm to it. Yeah, yeah. Do you follow any particular pattern or teaching on deliverance? There's there's quite a few out there. No, I, I really don't. Um, I, 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 we, we just keep it very simple. Uh, you know, yeah. the thing that was distinctive about Jesus' deliverance ministry was how how simple it was compared to what everybody else was doing. You know, and because yeah. exorcisms are part of most uh, primordial cultures. And, 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 but they have elaborate, you know, you have to have all the kind of a Gnostic knowledge. You got to know, you know, what demons doing what you have special incantations and charms and, you know, objects that you use to get them out, whatever. And Jesus just says, get out, just get out. And, and, and the authority of God, get out. And so we basically do that. Um, sometimes it gets a little more complicated that when you have to ask questions about woundedness and things like that. And so we always, always, whenever there's a, a deliverance issue, we also have, make it a counseling issue and vice versa, because mm -hmm. uh, you never know all that you're dealing with. So you yeah. deal with the natural and the supernatural. So you're, you're a charismatic, progressive, Anabaptist. Um, seems a bit rare from this side of the Atlantic. It seems like there's not there's not many churches like yours. It, well, is that just we don't know them or? 
No, I, 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 I agree that we're odd. Um, and we just sort of evolved in that direction. It was, um, you know, it didn't set out to become a quasi-charismatic Anabaptist peace church, social action church. But um, uh, that's just how we grew. And um, I, I, for a long time, felt alone. And, and we were looking for a tribe. And, you know, we, we checked out Mennonite Church USA and Brother in Christ and a number of denominations. And they're wonderful denominations with wonderful people. But it just wasn't us. It, it wasn't our tribe. Um, but we have found over time, starting like 2005 or so, uh, that we got on people's radar screen. And, and as we got on people's radar screen, um, in two, 2004, we really kind of got on the because the church was featured on the, the New York Times front page. Yeah. Uh, I had, you know, at a time where there's all this pressure from the religious rights to get your congregation to vote for the right candidate, you know, and the right party and all the right issues, uh, we wouldn't do that. Uh, and we've never done that. And um, I just, in light of the incredible you know, pressure that the right wing was kind of putting on people in the congregation to put pressure on your pastors, I thought it's time to kind of be really clear about why we don't do that. And so I, I, I did a six-week series called The Cross and the Sword. And um, um, uh, it was just distinguishing between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And our job is the primary job is to manifest the true kingdom. It's not to try to run the kingdoms of the world. We have our own unique way of changing the world. And, and, and so we shouldn't try to be writing the coattails of political power. Like that's what has always gotten the church in trouble, in my humble opinion. It got off track when it started getting in bed with the government. So um, uh, I, I just laid that out. And the result was we had about a thousand people leave, mm -hmm. uh, which at the time was about a quarter of our whole congregation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But you know, I, I, I don't regret that at all because that needed to happen. That was a turning point for us. I, I didn't realize how much I was walking on eggshells until we drew a line in the sand. And, and then I don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. And that allowed us to kind of really begin to own our own identity. Uh, the result of that was that we got on people's radar screen and we found out that there are people and churches all over the place who are on the same kind of a journey going in the same kind of direction. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to find each other. Uh, there's a, an organization called the Jesus Collective. Uh, it, it was launched by the Meeting House, but with collaboration from a number of other churches, including Woodland Hills. And it's, it's, we're hoping it serves as kind of a hub, a resource center for people who are coming to this kind of the, the vision. The easiest way to sum it up is we believe in a Jesus-looking God who's raising up a Jesus-looking people to transform the world in a Jesus kind of a way. <laughs> and, and, and so it's, it's very Jesus-centered. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, brilliant. And so it, it's really exciting to see that it's like there's a movement here and, and we're starting to become aware of each other. It's kind of yeah. like that Richard Dreyfuss movie, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, <laughs> where people get touched by these aliens and they all have this picture of this plateau and, and they can't get it out of their heads, but they don't know what it means. And they're trying to find their way to the plateau and some of them are lucky enough to do it. Well, that's kind of what's happening. It's uh, people are getting touched by this vision. It's really exciting. Some people would say that the advice to to the prophetic advice uh, to, to put everything online was a sort of real confirmation from the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit likes your teaching and wants your teaching to prosper. Well, uh, you know, I, I, had not, I hadn't thought of that. That, that. that thought never occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, maybe because I'm so paranoid of people who make claims like that. <laughs> You know, sometimes people just get lucky and they're like, oh, see, this proves that what all I'm teaching is true. And that, so maybe that's why it didn't even occur to me to make that argument. Um, I, uh, I guess it, to me it is 
but I'm not looking for the car for me. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess when you hang around someone like Janice for so long, it almost becomes sort of your normal. <laughs> it's like, okay, of course that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, 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 I'll, I'll just throw this as a little kind of side humor. Uh, there's a, it's a well-known fact uh, and on the staff of Woodland Hills Church that you do not want to have any affair going on when in the vicinity of Janice, because God will tell her <laughs> uh, she's busted a couple of people. It's like, Useful, useful. Yeah, it's very useful. Yeah, you got to watch your P's and Q's around her. You live and work very close to where George Floyd, Floyd was killed. Yes. And, and Philando Castile was another one. He was the one that was shot. Was His girlfriend was live streaming out on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, the cop had asked him for his wallet. And um, he and he had already told him that he, he carries a gun. Uh, but he was reaching for his wallet and the cop thought he was reaching for his gun, even though the cop had just told him to reach for his wallet, he shot him. Uh, and he 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 worked at the school that is on the edge in my block. It's like maybe a quarter mile from here, and um, they now have a Flano Castile Park. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're we uh, have crossed this whole the racial tension that was ignited with George Floyd was there already yeah. in St. Paul, Minneapolis, for quite some time, and we're very much a part of that. We feel that deeply. How how has how has your church responded to that? Well, that's when we most exploded um, uh, in in terms of online presence. Uh, the George Floyd thing, it, it was so it it just so it it, it, it pierced me so deeply. Um, it was it was so egregious. It was just like the face of white supremacy. I think that's why for a lot of folks, kind of their eyes were open because they finally saw something that was unambiguously racist. Um, but I, I, we just roared on that. And we, we talked about race uh, issues and racism in America, systemic racism, and all of that for um, nonstop for about eight, nine, maybe 10 weeks. It was just mm -hmm. the point where some people were saying, okay, can you move on? You know, uh, yeah. But, but we just thought this is so important and this is a Kairos moment when eyes are being opened. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and we lost some people as a result of that. Uh, you, you know, if your gospel doesn't have some offensive edge to it, you gotta wonder, are you preaching the gospel? Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, Paul in, in Galatians, he uses that as an argument for the correctness of his position. He says, if I still preach the law, well then there wouldn't be any offense. It's like, yeah. but of course there's supposed to be an offensive dimension to this. And so that's why. I know we're saved by faith or grace. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it was um, uh, an incredible time. And, and, and there's a lot of white churches that wouldn't speak out on that. And that offended folks who thought, well, of course, we have to weigh in on this. Uh, and some of those folks found their way to Woodland Hills. Um, that, that was kind of their entry point. Now, for, you know, we, we exploded in, 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 in growth during that time. Then as we've, you know, gone on to talk about other things, we've weaned some off because for some folks, that's the only issue and they don't want to hear about, you know, sin or they don't want to hear about personal responsibility or they don't want to hear about holiness or whatever, you know, yeah. uh, but on the whole, it's, it's, uh, we've, I think made a permanent growth as a result of that. Do you feel inner conflict between truth and lies, the way of Christianity and the way of the world? If so, it's time to live no lies with huge spiritual insight. New York Times bestseller John Mark Comer guides us into recognizing and resisting the lies that rob us of peace and freedom. Live No Lies, yours free when you take out an annual subscription to Premier Christianity magazine. 
subscribe at premierchristianity.com. So what would you encourage other churches in this, in this area? Would you encourage them to talk oh, about yeah. that for a couple we, of we months? Had, oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I ended up um, sort of coaching several other white pastors, because um, this has been a front burner issue for Woodland Hills throughout our whole history. Uh, but for a lot of folks, this is the first time waiting in the water. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to say. What do you do? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so I ended up you know, like kind of coaching them. But we also had, um, it was really a beautiful thing. Uh, we have a, a ministry here called Transform Minnesota. And and, and they're always putting on uh, reconciliation seminars. And not a number of other seminars too, but bringing churches together to wrestle with issues. Well, they, they called white and black pastors. They actually already had a network, and I'm part of this, a network of black and white pastors who meet together and discuss issues and, and, and talk through issues. Well, we, we came together and they just kind of, through word of mouth, brought churches together. And, you know, at, at most of these meetings between blacks and whites, and, and sometimes there's other uh, non-whites brought in as well, but um, um, there's usually 20 pastors, maybe 25. But by the end, after like four weeks after the George Floyd incident, uh, I mean, we had to keep upgrading Zoom uh, to, to incorporate the people. We had over 300 people at this one meeting, uh, pastors. Yeah. And, and the number of white pastors who came out and were willing to take a stand was just, I, I was really in, impressed with that. Now, I don't know how many are still passionate about this, but, but it, it was a, it was a, a moment of, of, of I, I'd say for me, it was the most, it was the greatest solidarity I have ever felt between whites and blacks concretely uh, mm-hmm. in the church, at least here in the Twin Cities. It felt like there's a really, uh, we're in this together. And to me, that's, that's incarnational ministry. That's what, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. So, so talk about racism in the church. That's one of your, one of your coaching points, you, you'd say. What, what are your other coaching points? Well, I don't know if I have any other coaching points. Uh, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I, I talk to church planners in some regularity just because I've done that. And uh, I know kind of the, 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 the grief you go through. Um, but uh, for the most part, I keep my head in, in theology. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a theo- theological geek, you know, and I like to read and write and that kind of thing. Uh, and so I don't, the practical side of things, I mean, I am so bad at anything practical. It is I, it's like I just don't have any practical brain cells. That's why if it wasn't for Janice, Woodland Hills Church would not be around. And if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be around. I mean, uh, women held my life together, so praise God for that. So, but I, I don't do a lot of like practical co- coaching. I, 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 I go places and I do teachings on theological themes, on hermeneutics, on things like that. But that's that's kind of more my niche. Okay. And one of your great theological themes is open theism. Um, and the controversy has been around for a while now. Uh-huh. Um, where's, where's that controversy at the moment? Would you say that there's still very serious opposition to op- open theism? Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not boiling as hot as it was. Yeah. I mean, things have really simmered down. You know, people are still writing on it. Uh, my, my sense is that, uh, and this is just anecdotal, this is just my impression, um, could be wrong, but it seems to me that that the, that view is growing at a grassroots level. People are slowly catching on. You know, they hear about it, they get onto it. Uh, the, the powers that be, they, they've played all their cards. They've made all their arguments. Their positions are settled. And so, boom. And so open theists are welcome some places and not other places. Um, but I think it's still growing at a grassroots level. And I, I, I suspect that's going to continue to be the case. 
um, for a number of reasons. One being I, because I think it's biblically cogent. But the other thing is that, that if you look at the history of theology, theology has always, for better or for worse, followed kind of piggyback on the world the worldview of the time, the gestalt of the time, how people look at the world and, and whatever. And so it's not surprising that with the reign of Newton and uh, mechanistic determinism, um, uh, theologians tended towards determinism. And they, that means it fit our worldview that everything was predetermined. But science and a number of other factors are really gravitating more towards an open view where we're, we're uh, it's indeterministic. You look at quantum physics, and 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 it, it, indeterminism is no longer an absurd thing. Uh, spontaneity. Uh, not every, and in fact, can in fact have more than one cause, um, or or one cause can have more than one effect, one possible effect. It could be a multiple effect, and so on and so on. And so I think that open view is it, it's the it, it's the way we all live. Even if you have a deterministic philosophy, you're going to live like an open theist because mm -hmm. you can't live any other way. You have to make decisions as though they were really up to you to make. And that's all open theism is saying is like, well, that's really true. You really are your own, you have your own agency. You resolve possibilities into an actuality. And before that, all is known as the possibilities. Uh, that's all that is there. Um, and so people are going to live like this, whether, whether regardless of what they believe. But I think increasingly the, this view, it's the only view that will continue to make sense in the long run. Yeah. Another view you've you've espoused, which uh, is welcome in some places and not others, is uh, the ultimate destruction of the wicked, and, and hell as destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con conditional immortality, or sometimes called annihilationism. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's what it's usually called. Um, I I don't like that term because it makes God an annihilator. <laughs> I don't think God's like the terminator. I think he's the you know, it, it, God's holding everything in existence, and and. So to have someone disappear, all he, he doesn't have to do anything. He just has to stop doing something. Yeah. And they withdraw the gift of existence. There's no violence in that. There's just like, I got to let you go. And, and, um, um, and so I think that if indeed uh, angelic beings and human beings can get to a state of utter, utter hopelessness, where God sees that now there is no possibility for them ever turning. Mm -hmm. um, I think God justly, but also mercifully, uh, it's kind of divine euthanasia, uh, puts them out of their misery. Now, if there's if 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 the moral scales of the universe need to be balanced, uh, C.S. Lewis thought this, where they that the wicked should suffer more than and there's degrees of wickedness, and, and and so the person who just got hardened against God but otherwise was decent should not suffer the same way that Hitler did or whatever. And if that's true, and I'm not sure it is, but. But if that's true, then, then that will be taken care of. But the ultimate state of, of, of things would be that the wicked will be as though they never were. Mm -hmm. um, I actually hope that, that it's possible for God to save everybody. Uh, I, I, I would hope for that. And if there was a way uh, that, that that could be, then I think that is what God would do. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to preach, what I see more, most clearly in scripture is that there's a warning. And, and the warning is that you'll forfeit this this gift of eternal life, if you don't accept it. And, um, uh, and there's consequences for that. So that, that, you have to preach the warning part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce also talked about a choice or wrote about a choice beyond death. Um, yeah. To go further into, into heaven or to get back on the bus to hell. Sure, sure, yeah. 
Is that something you embrace too, that choice beyond death? You know, absolutely, I do. Um, yeah. And it's, it's um, for a number of reasons. One is that, that it seems to me that there's a number of teachings of Jesus that only make sense. Well, they don't fit our standard paradigm that you die and then you either go to heaven or hell. He yeah. talks about, you know, he says, make peace with your brother while you're on the way, unless you get thrown into prison and you won't get out until you pay the last penny. But you do get out. Now, so where do we process put things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I, 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 I and I, I'm convinced that love has to be chosen. That's why we have free will at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and free will is risky, you know, because if, if, if you're free to choose for love, you're free to choose against it. Yeah. But if love has to be chosen, uh, what happens to people who die, but they haven't yet chosen or they haven't resolved their choice they're still you know inclined this way or inclined this way um and there's these teachings of jesus that seem to suggest that 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 whatever is incomplete in this world gets completed in that world gets refined in the next world and maybe gets burned up in the next world paul talks about that in first corinthians 3 but there's some kind of process there and what about children who die uh but you don't make a choice now today we have a kind of sentimental view that oh all babies go to heaven you know for free um Though the church traditionally has never believed that, uh, that's kind of a modern sentimentalist thing. But I don't believe that because I think it, 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 love has to be chosen. So if they don't choose it in this life, it, it, there has to be some spot where they're going to be choosing it. And then there's a whole thing about the judgment seat of Christ coming for the judgment seat of Christ, where our, our where I, that's where I think our works are tried by fire to see what sort they are, and and whatever that whatever we have resolved in our life that is compatible with God's love, I think that gets refined like gold silver and and you know it purified but whatever's incompatible gets burned up mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and we suffer loss there really is a a loss thing about that um and that i think we need to take seriously I, so the, the, the that simplistic afterward of immediately having or immediate hell and god will perfect you whatever's not perfect god will just magically perfect you mm-hmm. um and so so you go to heaven yeah, that that's first going to be taught by the reformers and it's had disastrous consequences because what it does is it makes sanctification optional. It's like, you know, it, it's a, why should I go through the hard work of discipleship and self-denial uh, to, in order to become more Christ-like if God's going to magically Christ-like me uh, yeah. the minute I die? Yeah. I, I think this process is going to go on until we're ready because nothing unclean can go into the kingdom. And, and I don't think God's the kind of God who is a coercive God who's going to depersonalize me by magically making me perfect. Without my, without any of my input, I think it's always relational and collaborative, and so I think that process goes on. Mm-hmm. So that that that's another controversial view that you've, I suppose, <laughs> that you have there. <laughs> um, are you aware of much sort of uh, Greg Boyd is a heretic sort of talk going around? Yeah, I, I don't pay much attention to that. Um, it it, uh, it it gets to be old after a while. Yeah, uh, and I don't think there's as much of that going on right now as there um, as there has been at different times in the past. Uh, I my, the last controversy was my uh, book on inspired imperfection, um, uh-huh. where I was you know, arguing that the errors of the Bible are part of its inspired nature, and and so we need to stop being worried about all these errors, and uh, that that ruffled some feathers. Uh, sure, but so the ruffling some feathers. What are you saying? So the Bible isn't infallible. It's not true that there are no errors in the Bible. There are errors in the Bible. Can you just explain that? Yeah, there, there are. I mean, uh, and I lay them out, uh, you know, in, in, in the book, just what some of them are, the contradictions on, yeah. on various things, factual errors or whatever. 
but but it's, it's like you know and I, I i do believe the bible is infallible unfailing if you're trusting it to do what the bible itself tells us that it's trying to do and yeah. jesus says it's all about me uh and you pharisees you read the bible you know so you study you got to memorize but yet yeah, you don't you don't find life in it. It's lifeless to you because you don't see that it points to me. And so I think if we read the Bible with the eyes to say, how does this point to Jesus? Um, how does this point more specifically to the cross, which sums up everything Jesus was about, in my opinion, um, then I think it will not let you down. The Spirit uses that book to, to bring us into a relationship with Christ. Now, if you're looking at it for science or, or absolute historical accuracy on every detail, it, you know, it, it, it's going to let you down. My concern is that I've seen so many young people go to college and they are told the Bible is inerrant. And, and if there's one error, well, then the whole Bible is going to, you know, it could be a book of lies. And boom, it takes one class on Bible studies or meeting one smart kid who read a book on it or whatever, and their faith is blown apart. That, in fact, is what happened to me. <laughs> um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I just want to see that it's so unnecessary. The way I think about it is that, that, it's like, do you remember in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when he, they have to choose what mug Jesus drank out of? There's a scene there where, where they, and, and there's these two guys, the bad guy and the other one's Harrison Ford, who's playing Indiana Jones. And the bad guy is going to choose, he gets to choose first. And he, he says, well, Jesus was a king. So he chooses this opulent, you know, chalice. He surely would have had the best of the chalices in the room. Well, he, he made the wrong choice and he turns to dust. So now it's Harrison Ford's turn, and he's looking around, and he remembers that Jesus was a humble carpenter. And so he picks the most rugged of the chalices in the, the, the room, and that's the right one. But See, I think maybe on, our, on one level we think God would inspire this perfect book. It'd be the most eloquently written book in the whole world. Every letter would just shine and be the most profound insight ever. That's maybe what we'd expect. But God's never conformed to that expectation. And that's kind of like the Jews who thought the Messiah was going to come and going to kick all the Romans out and reinstate Israel, and make the world a happy place forever. Well, he didn't quite fit that bill. He gets himself crucified. So I, the God who was willing to bear the sin of the world, to enter into all that's wrong with the world, he's not afraid with things being wrong and with him being associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think the errors of the Bible, the, all the human stuff in the Bible, I mean, Paul himself, he corrects himself he, one time when he's saying, you know, I, I, I'm so glad I didn't baptize anybody except for the household of Stephanus. Uh, oh, no, maybe I also baptized Gaius or whoever it was. And then he finally goes, you know what? I don't know who I baptized and who I didn't baptize. Uh, so there you have an error. It's just that Paul you know, corrected himself. But see, God, God breathes through that. that. That's Paul's humanity. God's the kind of God that meets us where we're at, that uses us as we are. You know, he find he brings good out of everything, including our errors and mistakes, even our faults, even our sin. He's always at work to bring good out of that. And I think that's the real Bible that we have. It's it's rough around the edges, man. There's some stories you wonder what on earth is that doing in there. But but uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, it it all points. Uh, it's all part of the story of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you have an impression of the church in the UK, and and what what would you like? to say maybe to you, to leaders in the church leaders in the UK? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm hesitant to do that because I'm not contextualized there. And I really don't know the, the church in the UK. I, I, I'm tapped into, uh, you know, ICFIS ministry. And I, I know that branch of it. And it's wonderful. I, I, I love them. And by the way, uh, Roger Forster has a book 
uh, called Gold, Silver, and Precious Stones, which is all about this rewards teaching. And, and uh, I've never seen a clearer presentation than the one that he gives in that book. If people want to go deeper with that. But that's the only thing I really know about the UK. Um, I, I, I'd be better at speaking to you about the church in America. Uh, I, I would say in general, I, I think the church in the UK has got to be faring better than the church in America. Um, because it's a sad show over here. It's, it's, it's a very sad state, of, sad state of affairs. We've got uh, scary numbers of people buying into Christian nationalism over here, this, this nationalistic Christianity that is fusing, you know, American interests with Christ. And, and it, it's pulling so much, so many folks who otherwise would be more mainstream, but over to this kind of fringe. And the church is as polarized as the culture here is, and the culture is just polarized at a toxic level. It's, it's just unbelievable. Um, and so yeah, it, it's a mess. All you can do about that is to say, I, I can't fix the world. I can't fix the church. I can't even fix myself. I, I, I'll just yield to the spirit and work with him and, 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 you know, carve out whatever kingdom, you know, niche I can create whatever kingdom splash I can do whatever I can to try to, you know, make things a little bit differently and not buy into all of that polarization. Don't get sucked up into all that mess. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's the most you call to do be an ambassador for the alternative kingdom. And, and, and in that respect, I, I, I would say that there's an advantage almost when things are going absolutely bad. Um, because it makes trusting only in Christ easier. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a lot easier to, to convince folks now that our hope isn't in America than it used to be. Uh, it's easier to convince folks that put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ, because if that hope doesn't pan through, there is no alternative. There's no second best. Uh, this has got to work or, or we're, we're all done for. And so there's a kingdom advantage to this. You can better manifest the alternative kingdom the beautiful kingdom when you're in a context where everything else is ugly. And, and so if we can just keep being gentle while others get, you know, violent and be humble while others get arrogant and love our enemies while others are demonizing them, refuse you know, to buy into that and swim upstream against it. Well, that's how you put on display the beautiful kingdom. 2022. Do you have any personal hopes? Have you got any books that you hope to see published or what, what's, what's going to be happening with you? Well, Roger, I'm in an odd season right now. I, I to be honest with you, I, um, I, God's doing a new work in me. Um, I had planned for over 20 years now uh, to have this book that I wanted to have be sort of the definitive book on demonstrating the influence of Hellenistic philosophy on the early church and and how all the deterministic um, aspects of Christian theology come from Hellenism, not the Bible. And this idea of transcendence as being timeless and impassable and immutable, this classical picture of God that's, I think, all indebted to Hellenistic philosophy. And I've, over the years, collected I have three gigabytes of notes that I've collected on books I've read and whatever, and I was going to put together this. At one point, I was under contract with InterVarsity to have two volumes, 2,000 pages apiece. So it was going to be a 4,000-page work. Um and, but I kept on getting detoured. Like I took a 10-year detour to write, you know, Chris Fiction of the Warrior God. And, and you know, so I'm always having these side projects. I have ADD, and maybe that's part of it. But um, this last time, I, I have been trying to get back into that book, and I can't do it. I, I feel like I'm moving Mount Everest with a spoon. And I'm not that interested in doing it. And, and when I go back and try to reread it and look at the notes and read new stuff that's being published, it doesn't generate the fire in me that it once did. And I finally came to the conclusion that I am supposed to let that go. I, I might carve a chapter out of it. 
Um, but it doesn't feel like the best in, in investment of my time. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the more you realize that you don't have that much time left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm right now taking a sabbatical from writing uh, and I'm just going for a lot of walks. I'm taking more hikes than I've ever done with my dog. We go out to a park every day. And uh, I never, never realized we've had in the Twin Cities here, we got five, over 500 walking parks, walking paths, and they're beautiful, gorgeous. And so we travel around and take walks. And I'm just trying to commune with God and, and just be. Uh, I've, I've let that go and just see what, what new thing's going to rise up here. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in this waiting season, waiting for something. And once in a while, I think I, I, I think I sense a, a new idea coming, but then it's like, ah, no, just keep, lay low, take your time. So we'll see. I'm Sam Howes, and you have been listening to The Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. There's loads more where that one came from. Over 200 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life available now on The Profile Podcast, and new ones coming each and every week. If you have been enjoying these interviews, we would so appreciate it if you could take just five seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover the show. So why not do that now? Give us a rating and a review and we'll see you next time.